This episode of the Coin World Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage, your ultimate destination for coin collector accessories. Visit AmosAdvantage.com today. And now, the inaugural episode of the Coin World Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Chris Bullfinch and Jeff Stark. Welcome to the first episode of the Coin World Podcast. I'm Chris Bullfinch. And I'm Jeff Stark. Thank you so much for tuning in to the inaugural episode of our show. Just to give you a little bit of background on us, I'm an associate editor here at Coin World, and I've worked here about six months, and I'm from Manchester-by-the-Sea, which is a small suburb north and east of Boston, Massachusetts. And I am senior editor of World Coins. I've been with Coin World 15 years now. And I'm originally from suburban St. Louis, a little town called Wildwood. Very good. Now, we started and designed this podcast to expose listeners to diverse corners of numismatics and introduce them to the personalities that enrich the hobby community. We seek to build upon and highlight seminal works from numismatic history and acknowledge the pioneers who produced them. We're starting this podcast to serve as a forum for the discussion of numismatic topics, both contemporary and historical. We are the inheritors of a great tradition, and alongside some of the foremost experts and scholars in the field, we will explore the rich and varied world of numismatics. We're very glad that you're joining us on this journey. For this episode, we were thinking that we would basically just lay out the format that we're going to do and pepper in a little bit of content. Yeah, I think the um, the key thing is we're going to start leading off with uh, news highlights from the week. So the Commission of Fine Arts reviewed designs submitted for the... Five Freedoms Platinum Eagle series. Platinum Eagle being a $100 platinum bullion coin that's produced by the Mint. One ounce. One ounce of solid platinum. And the series, the new series that's going to run between 2021 and 2025 seeks to highlight the five freedoms enumerated in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution being the freedom of religion, speech, the press, assembly, and petition. Those are all laid out in the First Amendment and the the Mint, through the Citizens Coinage Advisory Committee, or the CCAC, and the Commission of Fine Arts, the CFA, both uh, submit their recommendations for the best design according to a group of designs solicited by the Mint from artists across the country, and then the CCAC and the CFA weigh in on them. And the CFA, in their recent meeting in the past week, recommended five designs that highlight the five freedoms by depicting each of the five as stages of growth of an oak tree, the idea being that liberty as a strong, powerful, and enduring oak tree goes through these stages of development and that the five freedoms help to nurture liberty and help to nurture you know, our American culture. And so by depicting each freedom as different stages of the tree's development, they seek to express how the development of these freedoms has helped America and American culture develop over time. Now, of the designs submitted, the oak tree growth designs were not, at least in our opinion, the most aesthetically pleasing options that were available. There were a number of other very worthy designs submitted, but they did ultimately go with the oak tree development, and that's that's the decision they made. The CCAC made... A different set of recommendations, so we'll see what the Mint ultimately opts to include on these Platinum coins. Yeah, I believe it'll be up to the Secretary of the Treasury, and we'll be glad to share a link to the designs that were 
suggested by the CFA in the most recent meeting. Also in the news this week was the uh, word that the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, that's the house where America's paper money is made, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing has really outgrown its Washington, D.C. factory, its facility, one of two facilities that the BEP has in the country, the other being in Fort Worth. And so the BEP has received $1.4 billion approval to spend $1.4 billion on land and a new location to help uh, – expand their capabilities in printing paper money. Interestingly, $1.4 billion that, you know, you think, well, the BEP, they they make our money. They can just print it. That's not exactly how that works, but the the BEP does on average print $560 million a day. So the cost of the new site, at least that's been allocated so far, they could print that in just over two days. Two days would be $1.2 billion and uh, they've received approval for $1.4 billion. So it's finally after 100 and, uh, 105 years or so in D.C. at their location, they've outgrown that and we will soon have as a nation a new or different factory for our paper money. Now, the second feature of each one of our episodes is going to be a trivia question. The idea being to pick out a fun little piece of knowledge from the hobby and and numismatic history or contemporary happenings. And we're going to ask the question at the top of the episode right after our cover stories. And it will be answered uh, much later in the episode towards the end. So that's – hopefully that will serve as some kind of an incentive for you to to stay tuned in. Um, And our trivia question today comes from Bill Gibbs, our managing editor, who – wanted to ask and see if any of you listeners knew what mints struck 1975 cents without mint marks. So two mints struck mint markless pennies in 1975. And we would like to know if you know what, what those two mints are. And we will answer that later in the episode. So now we're moving on to our third segment, which is the numismatic item of the week. We're going to select a piece of, uh, numismatic material either from our own collections or a just a piece of phenomenal historical or aesthetic interest and we're going to provide you with a little bit of background on that item and Jeff uh, what do we got so i actually got an example of this metal uh, about a decade ago at a local coin shop very uh, underpriced they it was just in their junk bin but um it, it uh, it's a neat neat piece. It has a great story, and it's tied to history uh, this week. On March twenty third, eighteen thirty six, the Philadelphia Mint used its steam press to strike the first coinage, and to celebrate, they issued a little medal. Uh, I think technically it's probably a medalette based on size. The earlier design related to a false start because. They were dated February 22nd, but there were problems with the machining and the machinery, and so the mint had to delay striking to March 23rd. So there are actually two versions of this metal out there. The March 23rd one is the one I have, and they were they were sold uh, into into the 70s and maybe 80s from the mint. You can't get them now, but it has a great 
uh, liberty cap on the obverse with some rays. It's very reminiscent of our early coinage and, and the coinage that was contemporaneous to 1836. And the back has this uh, great legend just recalling the historic event uh, or events of March 23rd, 1836. We will share images of that with you in our show notes and link to story about that. It's a fun little piece if you can find it and you have a reverence or interest in U.S. Mint history, it's a must-have for every collector. And that's why it's our item of the week. The fringe and cap with Ray's motif on the obverse will be common to anyone who follows Mexican coins as well, and it's a very common motif on many coins throughout history. So it's it's a symbol with a lot of – with a really significant backstory. Yeah, so, great meaning. Yeah, absolutely, which and it represents our mint well, and fringe and caps have also been a feature of other U.S. coins, notably the Seated Liberty – Silver coinage, you know, the staff that Liberty holds is capped with a fringe and cap. So it's interesting that there's a sort of magnified version of that on on this medal that we had for the item of the week. So in addition to our cover stories, uh, we also have a few other stories from inside the issue that we'd like to highlight. So, Jeff, go right ahead. Anybody who's familiar with the modern commemorative landscape from the U.S. Mint in the last five years is likely familiar with the 2014 Baseball Hall of Fame coin series. There's a half dollar, silver dollar, and gold five dollar piece. Now, the Basketball Hall of Fame gets its own coinage. They um, Congress has approved this. They're on the slate for 2020. That's not the news here. What's exciting is the chance for residents, citizens, designers to submit designs for these coins and just like just like they could for the baseball coins. And just like the baseball coins, these will be the convex concave um, format so that you have a depth and a, a height and a uh, you know it really resembles part of a basketball that raised um that raised feature gives gives some 3D uh three dimensions to it these coins will celebrate the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame 60th anniversary that's of course named for basketball founder James Naismith and um he uh, hailed from Massachusetts but uh, founded the University of Kansas basketball program. And 60 years ago, the Basketball Hall of Fame opened, Springfield, Massachusetts, and uh, money raised from the surcharge on these coins will actually benefit the museum as well. So there are – if you want to design a coin or coins for the U.S. Mint, you have the chance the design competition is now open – and uh, we will, of course, link to the story where you can find out information about the contest as well. And CoinWorld will, as always, report on design possibilities as they go through the process in both the aforementioned CFA and CCAC. That's kind of cool. Chance to design a U.S. coin. What else do you have for the listeners this week in, in fascinating news, Chris? Well, American Legion commemorative coins are not selling nearly as well as their Apollo 11 counterparts that were released earlier this year, according to Paul Jilk's story that's appearing in this week's Coin World. It seems that the the coins which were commissioned to celebrate the centennial of the founding of the American Legion, which was created to help 
U.S. soldiers and other service people returning from the First World War. To commemorate the centennial, the Minutes commissioned a number of different designs from half a dollar all the way up to five dollars, similar to the Apollo 11 commemoratives, which were issued to honor the 50th anniversary of our landing on the moon. And those Apollo coins have sold considerably better than their American Legion counterparts, which have just been put up for sale in the past week. Um, on average, the coins have sold 10 to 15 to 20 times fewer pieces on the first day of ordering, or the first day that the coins were available to be ordered, than the Apollo 11 coins, which could reflect a number of things, namely the international recognition and wider spread popularity of the Apollo 11 missions and the sort of greater interest in space exploration, uh, in addition to the fact that the American Legion is a much more specifically American-focused organization, which makes commemorating it something that there wouldn't be as broad an international interest for. Sure. And I think the takeaway then, uh, CoinWorld will monitor sales of this. It's possible that the American Legion program could become a sleeper you know, depending on how sales go for the rest of the sales period, but right now there is fewer than 2,000, or at least in the first day of sale, fewer than 2,000 of the gold $5 coins sold combined, which is pales in comparison to the gold coins that were sold on the first day for the Apollo 11 series. And, you know, looking forward, is is there going to have strong aftermarket appeal? Is there is there going to be hidden value because people are so focused on the Apollo 11 series. Um, who knows? But we'll, uh, of course, CoinWorld, Paul Jokes, will monitor sales and keep you updated on that. Also, in the recent issue, we're just going to give you a little tease. There's a fantastic story from a freelancer pointing out there was a very expensive $500 treasury note sold a few years ago at auction. Turns out it wasn't real. And it fooled the experts until now. The $500 treasury note was auctioned in 2016 and sold by Heritage. Recent evidence that has come to light shows what that note actually was and is and why it's important. For the full story on that, you'll have to get the latest issue of CoinWorld. Amos Advantage is a proud sponsor of the CoinWorld podcast. Whether you're looking for numismatic books, storage, or cleaning supplies, Amos Advantage has you covered. Visit amosadvantage.com today. And now, back to the show. The next section of the podcast that we're going to, to be doing are featured social media posts. So we seek out every week and all throughout the week. We keep a pretty close eye on different numismatic forums, social media groups, and all kinds of other places where people are posting images or stories or other content that might be of interest to you, and we're trying to curate as much of that content as we can find and present it to you. All links to the content that we discuss will be posted in the podcast description so you can get a sense as to what it is that we're talking about. And we'll be drawing our content specifically from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit because there are a lot of platforms on all four of those services that feature a lot of really great content. And we'll probably also be discussing posts on more quote-unquote conventional areas like PCGS Coin Forum or the eSylum or other places. Yeah. But we're going to stick to social media content for the moment. And on Facebook, the Royal Canadian Mint shared images of an upcoming coin. This is a design that's a wildlife theme 
from the 2019 Inner Nature program. This shows a grizzly bear. It was designed by Caitlin Lindstrom Milne, and who runs Caitlin Art and Tattoos. So fascinating. The, the Royal Canadian Mint has a history of contracting artists from all sorts of fields to promote uh, or to create their many, many commemorative coins they come out with every year. This piece it has the bear with some wildlife scenes, some flowers, a, a waterfall, some fish. Uh, very dynamic, very busy, very interesting. Um, and it's, it's neat that the Mint is sharing that they got that from Caitlin and putting that out there for their followers. Also in the, in the news, in the social media this week, PCGS, Professional Coin Grading Service, has been sharing the story of lifetime coin collector Joe Best. Best might be best known to the numismatic community by his user ID or collector ID, Crazy Hound Dog. And he and his family, their home burned down in the Paradise Campfire. And PCGS has shown images of some of the coins that suffered, uh, were lost in that fire, except they weren't lost. They they made it through, but had to be uh, restored and reholdered, and there's quite a transformation from the melted plastic blob protecting the 1914S St. Gaudens Double Eagle and the new holder bearing it with the Crazy Hound Dog collection tag. To see the images and to hear the story about Joe and his family, how from out of nowhere angels came to his family's rescue. Check out the links in the notes. Well, great. Now, for our Instagram post of the week, we are going to the account Numismagram, which features a lot of really great high-quality scans of a lot of interesting world coins and medals. And this week's is no different. It is a 1928 medal from the Westphalian town of Hagen which was minted in uh, to commemorate a shooting competition which occurred there in the midsummer of 1928. The medal itself is a beautiful silver piece with a little bit of yellow patina in the center. Its obverse features a deer skull complete with horns, so it's a buck, with a cross uh, within the antlers and a crown right above the tips of the very top antlers. And its reverse features text that explains the sort of nature of the event refers to the shooting competition and explains that the competition occurred between the 30th of June and the 1st and 2nd of July of 1928. It's an absolutely beautiful medal. And for those interested in shooting competitions, in skeet shooting and other forms of competition shooting and hunting, it's really a fabulous piece. And it's interesting because when we think of shooting medals, we think of Switzerland. Yep. This this is a German piece, so very cool. What o- what other piece do you have uh, coming for us? I think from Reddit. So from Reddit, we have a post from r slash coins, which is the main coin collecting subreddit. It has about 30,000 subscribers and links to all kinds of other more specialized subreddits, but this is the general coin collectors and numismatic subreddit. And from user Flyaway Tyler, we have in 1893 World's Columbian Exhibition Elongated Dime. Now, this is sort of an unusual piece because we've all seen the elongation machines at different kinds of fairs where you can put a penny in along with 
some other amount of money, usually a couple of quarters, and you, you know, we've all seen it, you turn the crank and a number of gears sort of work within it and it elongates the penny into a longer, thinner piece of copper, zinc, or whatever the composition of the coin is. And it stamps it with the design that you get to pick out, which sort of serves as a token of the event, a little... It's, it's a Memento. Cheap, it's an inexpensive numismatic way to commemorate things and, and all kinds of fairgoers could do it and the World's Columbian Exhibition was no different. And you typically see pennies. People would take the Indian headsets that were circulating, put them in, and, and grind them out. So you typically see copper ones. This one is interesting because it's actually a silver, an 1892 barber dime that was elongated. It's, it's, relative, it's a relatively simple design. It just says World's Columbian Exhibition 1893 on it. But it's interesting because it's a different metal composition from a slightly smaller, at least in terms of diameter and weight, coin that you really don't often see put into that form. You don't see them elongated in that way. And it's an absolutely fascinating memento that really sort of encapsulates one particular point in time. It's an 1892 dime, and it was turned into an elongated fair token in 1893. It's certified MS-64 by NGC, and is an absolutely fascinating piece. And that's actually... The World's Columbian Exposition is notable because that's when elongated scents really came into their own and started gaining a foothold in the hobby, and you see them even today... Um, go around the world and there are penny collectors all over that look for smash pennies or rolled pennies or whatever. Similarly, we're encased scents. Encased scents really began to come into their own at the late 19th century as well, which were you take an aluminum case and you put a, a penny of the year of whatever event you're commemorating into it. I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunity to discuss that in the future, but it's really a fabulous piece. So again, go to the description and you can find the Reddit link to view this really unique and fascinating piece. So... Now, after the social media posts, we will be answering the trivia question that we asked earlier in the episode. Me, me, can I, can I try? Can I try? You sure can try, Jeff. <laughs> so the question, to recap for listeners, was in 1975, the U.S. Mint struck cent coins without a mint mark at which two mints? Now, the obvious one is Philadelphia, right? Because there's never a payment mark until very recently, you know, celebratory reasons. The other one, you had to, I would say, go west, young man or woman, but you actually have to go east to West Point in New York. And that's the other one. That's the answer, the two answers, Philadelphia and West Point. That is absolutely right. 1975 mint mark less cents, cents created without mint marks, were minted in Philadelphia and West Point. So if you find a 1975 penny in your change with no mint mark, there is a decent chance that it was actually struck at West Point, which is pretty interesting because West Point is not known at all for striking circulating coins. In fact, they've only produced two that I'm aware of, the 1975 cent and the uh, 1996 W. Roosevelt dime. So... Check your change, and if you find a 1975 penny, it's not worth a whole lot, but you can know that it might be from West Point. And to distinguish or, or to add to that, the 1996 W dime was only in sets, so that wasn't a circulating issue either. Very true. It was, I mean, by circulating, I mean, let us say non-Boolean. Okay, a, a circulating think, denomination. Yes, gotcha. Thank you. That, gotcha. That's an important okay. distinction to make. If you have similar questions, uh, we'd be glad to field them, uh, throw throw answers at you. Uh, we'll give you a trivia question as well. But uh, if there's something we can answer for you, be sure to reach out to us. You can find contact details with the show notes. 
And maybe in a future episode, you'll get to have your question answered and hear your name on air. That's the sort of newsy section of our podcast. The latter section of our podcast is going to consist of discussion and interviews. So Jeff and I have reached out to a lot of different sort of movers and shakers and notables in the numismatic community, and we'll be interviewing lots of them on the air. But we'll also be having discussions as well about different topics from the hobby, from history. And for our first discussion this week, Jeff and I were going to talk back and forth about why it is that we collect. And we thought that, that was a fitting first topic for for this podcast, trying to serve a community of people who all collect for very different reasons. Some people are silver stackers, some people collect certain tokens in exonumia, some people collect to- have topical collections, other people have tried to complete date sets and acquire the finest known example of, of certain coins. There are all kinds of different collections, and there are tons of different reasons for collecting. People get into the hobby all different ways, they collect for all different reasons, and collecting as a general activity is one of the most scrutinized human activities ever. So we think that it's worthwhile to discuss why it is that people collect, and we figured, as far as people to talk about it, why not the two of us? My name is Jeff Stark, and I am a numismatic addict. <laughs> I love the hobby. I love going to coin shows and seeing pieces maybe that I've never seen, um, seeing things that uh, have stories to them. You know, as a communicator, as a um, as a collector, but as a lover of history, finding things that offer portals to the past and can serve as windows to the past. Uh, that's what motivates me and excites me, and I think that's what a lot of folks are excited about. Because it's more than an object. It's a celebration of art and history and politics and geography and economics and, and just the, the, a record of the past and the movement of people across nations and continents and blending of cultures. It's the best hobby. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure there are some uh, stamp collectors out there who might be tempted to refute that argument, but I think you make a pretty compelling case. Well, they're just unhinged then. Ha ha, to use a stamp term. Oh, God. We're going to get some... uh... We're going to get some angry messages about this from the uh, Linz and Scott people, let me tell you. I think that you've touched on a lot of interesting things in that, and it's, it's been speculated a lot that collectors of any kind, whether you're collecting coins or stamps or records or rocks or whatever it is that anyone collects there's been a theory that it has something to do with sort of the human desire for control over an environment the idea is that the world might be chaos and nonsense but your collection is yours and it makes sense to you you order it how you want it's this this interesting i don't want to say playing god but it's this interesting sort of desire for control and a sense of stability and order which i think is I think that informs a lot of collecting, and I think that that's an interesting idea. Collecting is a way to sort of stockpile wealth in some cases, and this comes back to the prehistoric days. Human competitiveness is naturally a part of this as well. I mean, what is a a PCGS or an NGC registry set but an expression of, I'm the best at doing this particular thing? Or I know the most about this particular series. I'm so familiar with the sort of grading and diagnostic criteria that I can, you know, I have this knowledge. And it also strikes me that there's also, there is an anti-materialist sentiment, though, to it. 
oddly. Because, you know, people would associate collecting with a kind of consumerism, a kind of materialism. But in my experience, at least, collectors actually go to great pains to to cast their collections of their collecting as sort of a cerebral or intellectual pursuit. The idea being, I'm not in it purely for the money. I'm not in it just to buy things for myself. You know, this is part of advancing human knowledge. This is an expression of knowledge of art and history and it's it's a repre- it's a representation of this kind of intellectual endeavor on my part and some of that is probably self-delusion to be honest like you know some of that is is probably you want to build a collection you want to do it for yourself for some of the more primitive stockpiling hunter-gatherer type reasons that we talked about but i do think that collecting is differentiated from let's say hoarding by the fact that there's a greater degree of intentionality to it you know people who just gather for the sake of gathering and who have, you know, a hundred cats and every copy of Sports Illustrated and they have ten copies of it, of each issue or something. I think that the differentiation is that coin collecting is more targeted, or at least many people's coin collecting is more targeted, though the line between targeted collecting and hoarding is sometimes a little more porous than I think any of us really want to acknowledge. You know, there is, there is that, the idea that, you know, people are assembling these things with a, a narrative. They have a sense of meaning and a sense of a story that they're trying to tell with the collection that they're assembling. So oh, sure. It, so th- there's a narrative element here too. I, I mean I've spoken with collectors who collect maybe coins from England because that's where their family came from or they're putting together a set of Franklin half dollars because that was in circulation when they were a kid and they couldn't afford it then because 50 cents was a lot of money and and you know you can get Franklin half dollars in high grades for you know very good prices relative to melt although I think the market for that certainly has has been changing um, in many respects at the high end because of those registry sets but it's still an attainable collection and that's you know the what motivates one collector won't necessarily motivate another but take all those motivations together and they're all valid and they're all good um there's something to be said in this day and age of um social media digitalization i mean here we are on a podcast but to go to a show and talk to fellow collectors and learn from them share your knowledge with them is is a great outlet you know everybody has a quote unquote tribe a an area that to which they want to belong and and collecting is a great vehicle or venue for that uh, to be part of a community with a shared interest Absolutely. And I also tend to think of coin shows and coin clubs and other gatherings of hobbyists. I, I, I see that in a lot of ways as a recreation of a civic space that we really don't have anymore. I mean, people, you know, some people who spend a lot of time on the computer derisively refer to, you know, meeting people in real life as the meat space. I mean, it's in a time when we are increasingly sort of digitally cloistered away from each other and to some extent ourselves, there is something to be said for sort of the, the tactile nature of coins themselves and, and the social opportunities and the opportunities for mutual learning and growth that occur within hobby organizations. And I, I, I agree with you that I think that there is a lot to be said for that. It cuts across uh, political divides, certainly. It's hopefully starting to cut across age and gender lines a little bit, though those are two areas that the hobby is somewhat lacking in terms of diversity. But 
you know, there, there can be efforts made to engage a broader variety of people in the hobby. But I do think that it offers for, for many, or at least for those who are interested or inclined to it, I, I think it does offer a really enriching experience. And there's quite a lot to be said. It's an outlet of pa- for passion. I mean, the, there's the passion of the silver stacker who is looking for the latest Queen's Beast two ounce design or uh, somebody who's looking to just, you know, build a, build a Morgan dollar set. Um, the, the interesting thing that to which I've become aware or exposed to the last year or two is how many folks use their collection as sort of collateral in, t- in hard times and, uh, you know, maybe their truck breaks down and so they need to sell part of their collection to get it fixed and then they it's, – it's a hobby they can do that easier than say if, you know, you're a book collector or, a, you know, um, if you're into crochet, um, <laughs> you know. So that that's a, a fascinating sort of um, evidence for one – way to participate in the hobby. But um, regardless of where people are and what brings them in, this is a, I I say it a hundred times a week, it's a big tent hobby and there's room for everybody. And we want to at Coin World and just, you know, personally and out and about at a show or here in the office, it's, for me, it's all about finding what excites people, what motivates people and sharing that with others because the passion is contagious. The passion is important. We need people who are excited because this is a great hobby and there's so much to share and learn. The best way to do that is by sharing that passion and reaching folks who can understand and appreciate that passion as, and hopefully come to own that as well as their own. Absolutely. And there's there's a, a fungibility and a sort of association with wealth with coins that, as you said early on there, you know, makes them attractive as, as stores of wealth, which gets back to sort of that more – I don't want to label it primitive. That's certainly not – that's not a, a fair association or, or a fair sort of characterization of it, but it does sort of harken back to that more traditional use for coins and that traditional use for precious metals. And – I think your comments are right. This is a big tent hobby. That's and that's what we need to aspire to be, especially given the you know consolidation of wealth and that middle-income families and individuals have less and less it seems and more and more is being demanded of them financially. You know, the investment in a $10,000 coin is not feasible for a lot of people. I mean, Lord knows it's not feasible for me. But I can go out and buy five different new one-ounce silver coins at a right. local show for twenty so, bucks a piece, twenty-five bucks each. You know, low mintage. Maybe it's it's you know uh, the new design from the Highland Mints uh, series of uh, fish and, and other um, aquatic life, or it's you know a, a Darth Vader design. <laughs> you know, boy, and there, there's so many things that exist where whatever your interests are. There's a coin that can relate to it and help you celebrate it. It's within reach for everybody. Absolutely. And part of spreading the, the passion of the hobby and, and demonstrating its its value and intrinsic interest, a lot of that, I think, relies on demonstrating low-cost alternatives and disseminating information as broadly as possible. Because the narrative potential for these things, that's part of what got me into the hobby, was the the imaginative 
and narrative possibilities embedded in these objects. That, to me, is one of the most compelling arguments for having a coin collection, for getting involved in coin collecting, for buying coins. Like, those are absolutely... They're absolutely fascinating objects in that way. I, and I think every collector has, uh, to interrupt, uh, every collector picks up a maybe an 1832 large cent or something, say, and says, I wonder who used this. I wonder where this traveled, where it was spent. Um, what could it have bought then compared to today? So that's that narrative um, possibility that you suggest. And certainly we want to, through the podcast and through Coin Roll itself, help tell those stories and share your interest so be sure to reach out to us. Check the show notes. You can find con- contact information and tune in uh, every week going forward. We'll have more discussions about what makes the hobby great, some people in the hobby, um, obviously the news updates and, and fun things. Just uh, buckle up. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in to our first show. There are going to be plenty more episodes. We're going to be talking about all kinds of interesting things, and we really do want to hear from you. So like Jeff said, we've got – we'll have contact information up, and we're very easy to reach. So please feel absolutely free to get a hold of us, to ask us questions, and to let us know what you think. Absolutely. And in the meantime, happy collecting. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Send us your questions and feedback on Facebook at facebook.com slash coinworld or on Twitter at coinworld. Be the first to know about our next episode by signing up for our newsletter. Go to coinworld.com and click on free newsletter to sign up today. This episode of the Coin World Podcast was brought to you by Amos Advantage, the ultimate destination for coin collecting accessories. Visit amosadvantage.com.